0: My name is Heidi and I love stories, funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happens stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. Samuel was an excellent judge over Israel all of the days of his life. And when he grew old, he appointed two of his sons, Joel and Abijah, to be judges over Israel. The problem is that Samuel's sons were not as good as men as samuel himself and they took bribes and i quote perverted justice they were not the men that samuel was and the people of israel were fed up so they asked samuel to give them a king they actually asked samuel to ask god to give them a king but the point remains they wanted a king and samuel's like here's the thing about kings they suck kings will tax you and oppress you and draft you and make you do all kinds of stuff Despite Samuel's entirely accurate warnings, the people demanded a king. They wanted a king because they wanted to be like everybody else. They were tired of having judge after judge after judge, and they didn't want to deal with another one, especially since once Samuel died, it was pretty clear that the whole judge system was going to go down in flames again. Samuel was pretty downhearted about it until God pointed out the obvious. The people weren't rejecting Samuel. They were rejecting God. See, God was Israel's king. God was in charge. God appointed judges, but God was still the king. And Israel didn't want that. They wanted a human king. They wanted a man on a throne who they could bow to. And God was going to give them what they wanted. After all, he had said that Israel would someday have a king, and they were demanding it. And God decided to grant their request. Now, over in the tribe of Benjamin, there was a man named Kish, who had a son named Saul, who was ridiculously handsome like as in the handsomest man in israel handsome he was also a head taller than everyone else in israel so tall dark and handsome saul son of kish and kish's donkeys went missing they just wandered off one day so saul was asked by his dad to go you know find the donkeys the ones that had wandered off they faithfully looked through basically the entire land of benjamin and didn't find the donkeys so saul was like we should go home, you know, so that my dad doesn't worry about us and stops caring about the donkeys. But the servant was like, hey, isn't there a prophet or a seer in the city? Why don't we go ask the prophet if there's any word on the donkeys? Like, I bet he knows. And so Saul and his servant go up toward the city to find Samuel. Samuel, the day before, had heard from God that the man who was going to be king was coming to the city and that he should stand outside and wait. Samuel sees Saul approaching and stops him, lets him know that he is to eat with Samuel that day, and also that the donkeys have been found and don't worry about it. So Saul goes and eats with Samuel and is placed ahead of everybody else who was actually invited to the dinner by name, and is given a choice portion of food that had been set aside for him, just in case it was unclear that something was going to happen re-Saul and something involving Samuel. The next day, as Saul was getting ready to leave the city, Samuel stopped him and told him that... They were going to chat when the servants went on ahead. And as soon as the servants were out of earshot, Samuel anointed Saul and told him that he was going to be king of Israel, and that on his way out, God would give him a new heart and cover him with his spirit, and Saul would prophesy, and that would be a sign that God was serious about making Saul king. Saul was a little doubtful, but as he left and turned his back to Samuel, God did give him a new heart. He rushed out and prophesied, and everyone was like, is this Kish's son? Like... Saul, Saul? And so it ended up actually becoming like a saying, is Saul among the prophets? And when Saul got home, he didn't tell his family about the kingship. He just told them the donkeys had been found. So I guess? I suppose reasonably, Saul was kind of nervous about this whole thing. And when Samuel gathered all of Israel together to anoint Saul as king, uh, there was a slight problem. So they cast lots to find which tribe and which clan and which parentage specifically, and then whom was going to actually be king of Israel. And they got to Saul exactly as Samuel knew would happen. But uh, unfortunately, Saul was nowhere to be found. So they asked God again, like, are you sure someone's going to come and be king? And God's like, he's with the baggage. Saul is hiding with the baggage. So they go and Saul, who is again a head taller and a heck a lot handsomer than anyone else in Israel, is hiding with the bags because he's scared of being king. And when he stands up, Samuel's like, do you see him? He's a head taller than everyone else. There's no one like him in Israel. Long live the king. And everyone's like, long live the king. Well, I said everyone, but not quite everyone. There were some worthless people who didn't want Saul to be king. And he went back home and didn't say anything about it, because what was he going to say? It was kind of a complicated situation. A little while later, Nahash the Ammonite sieged Jabesh-Gilead. And that was a real problem because he took the city. And the people were like, let us go, please go away. And he's like, I will only do that if you gouge out your right eyes and therefore disgrace all of you. And the men of Jabesh are like, give us a week. And if no one comes to help us, we will let you do what you like. Well, the men of Jabesh sent out messengers and the message reached Saul, who was out plowing his field, you know, coming in behind oxen. And when he heard that Jabesh had been seized, He got righteously angry, chopped up his oxen and sent the body parts all over Israel and was like, anyone who doesn't come and join Saul and Samuel is going to be treated as these oxen were. So 330,000 men show up. They sent a message to the men of Jabesh that were like, tomorrow you'll get delivered. So the men of Jabesh went to the Ammonites and were like, tomorrow you can do whatever you want to us. We have given up. Saul and his army successfully seized back Jabesh-Gilead and liberated the city from the Ammonites, at which point there were people who were like, who was it that said we didn't want Saul for a king? Like, we should kill them. We should put them to death. And Samuel doesn't interfere. Saul does. He's like, no one is going to be put to death today because God delivered Israel. So let's call it good. And so Samuel was like, everybody, let's go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom because the very small... Minority who had said they didn't want Saul as king was just like all obnoxious naysayers, very loud. And so they had to renew the kingdom there at Gilgal, and it was a huge, big deal and a wonderful celebration. Shortly after that, Samuel gave his farewell address. He was retiring from being the prophet of Israel because he knew he was going to die soon. He warned Israel about the dangers they would face, both as having a king and as a nation with a short memory, And also asked them to hold him accountable. Was there anything he had ever done? Did he cheat anyone? Did he take a bribe? Did he ever administer injustice when he was called to bring justice? And the people of Israel told him no? Samuel had done right by them all the days of his life. Samuel also reminded the people that what they had done was not right. They had asked for a king when God had been their king. And then they asked for a king again after Nabash the Ammonite had been put under. God sent thunder and rain in the middle of the wheat harvest, exactly when you need it to be dry. And the people saw that they had sinned. But Samuel prayed for their forgiveness and reminded them that this was the condition they lived in now. They had to deal with having a king. And that king was going to make decisions. One of the decisions that he made was to go to war with the Philistines. But anyway, he was told by Samuel to wait for seven days so that Samuel could come and make a sacrifice so that they could go to battle, so that they could win, so that they could do war. He waited seven days, Samuel didn't show up, and Saul was getting antsy. Saul was getting antsy and his army was getting antsy. And that was a real problem. So Saul took it upon himself to offer the sacrifice. And just as he was cleaning up all the animal blood, Samuel rolls up and is like, so what's going on here, buddy? And Saul's like, well, everyone was getting nervous, so I offered the sacrifice. And Samuel's like, big mood face, palm. you moron, don't do that. Samuel rebuked Saul for doing something wicked in God's eyes, you know, i.e. taking the priest's role, the prophet's role upon himself as king. Those roles are separate. They are not supposed to be held by the same person. Certainly not Saul. At this point, the Philistines really did have Israel kind of by the short hairs because there were no blacksmiths in the country of Israel, which means that on the day of the battle, you know, the one where Saul Offered a sacrifice Samuel was supposed to offer. There were no swords or spears in the entire Israelite army except for that that belonged to Saul and his son Jonathan. We like Jonathan. He's going to come up quite a bit. Anyway, Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and is like, maybe God will deliver us. Let's go over to that Philistine camp and see what happens if we attack. And the armor bearer is like, I'm with you all the way, man. You and me. Ride or die. This is Jonathan's plan. Well, Jonathan's idea. They're going to cross over to where the Philistines can see them and if the Philistines tell them to wait where they are then they know that God is not with them and they should retreat. However if the Philistines call them up to where they are at the top of a cliff Jonathan knows that God's delivered them into his hands. Well they go and show themselves to the Philistines and the Philistines start taunting them and like come over here and let us give you a lesson. And Jonathan takes that as a sign that God is about to hand over the Philistines. So he and his armor bearer climb up a cliff face, hand over hand, all the way up to the Philistine camp. And when they get there, they just go berserk. And the whole camp is thrown into confusion. And the Philistines are now on the frickin' run from Jonathan and his armor bearer. There's two of them. Two of them. And that's it. And the whole camp starts dispersing. At this point, Saul is like, hey, what's going on over there? And Saul's camp is like, hey, something's happening. And he summons the Ark of God, and there's this whole thing. And then Israel is like encouraged and comes out and joins Saul's army because there was a defeat of the Philistine garrison up on that cliff. And Saul makes the dumbest decision, perhaps, of his kingship thus far. This battle was pretty severe And everyone had been hard-pressed, so Saul made an oath to God. Another one of those dumb oaths that's like, what? Okay. And he lays a curse on anyone who eats anything that day. Basically, no one gets to eat until Saul is avenged. You know who didn't hear Saul's oath? Jonathan, the person who was actually out there, you know, doing the avenging. And so as they were passing through a forest, the whole army passes by this honeycomb. Jonathan, who hadn't heard the promise eats some and is like super refreshed and happy. And the people were like, Jonathan, you're not supposed to eat anything. Your dad put a curse on anyone who does. And Jonathan's like, my dad's an idiot. You know how much better everything would have been if everyone wasn't hungry? Ugh, We could have done such a better job against the Philistines. They finally did strike down the Philistines all the way to where Saul wanted to get to. And the people saw animals that the Philistines had and they just slaughter them and immediately start eating and start cooking. And Saul's like, whoa, 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 slow down. We need to do this right and not the unkosher way. You guys haven't even drained the blood. Here, we're going to make an altar. We're going to offer some sacrifices. We're going to do this right. The problem is, again, Saul is making an altar to God. You know, not necessarily when he's supposed to. But also, like, the army is kind of in disarray. Like, they're kind of calling the shots a little bit. And then Saul is like, we should attack the Philistines by night. And the priest is like, we should ask God about this. So Saul asks God, no answer. One whole day, no answer. So Saul's like, we should find out who sinned. And they go through the entire Israelite army to figure out who had broken the oath that Saul had rashly made. And boom, it's Jonathan. And Saul is like, well, time to put my son to death because he broke the oath. And the whole army is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jonathan? we're not killing Jonathan. He saved us. He climbed up that cliff with his armor bearer, and that's the only reason we had this victory. Don't you dare lay a hand on Jonathan. Humph. Saul defeats the Philistines in that campaign. Everybody goes home. For Saul's entire life, there was a lot of war, particularly with the Philistines, to the point that anytime there was anyone who was like a fighting age of fighting stature, Saul would draft them into his army. So Samuel's word is already coming true. Like Saul is amassing a drafted army, whereas before it was volunteer. People showed up when the word went out that they needed an army. But now Saul is having a standing army in Israel, something that had not happened before. Eventually, Samuel sends word to Saul that God has commanded Saul as king to strike down Amalek and to slaughter all of the Amalekites. Men, women, children, animals, nothing is to remain of Amalek because their time has come. This is to be wholesale destruction. You might remember some of this happening back when Joshua was doing his campaign. Yeah, it's supposed to be like that. So Saul amasses an army, around 200,000 men, and they attack Amalek and strike everyone down. Kind of. When Saul defeated the Amalekites, he took Agag, the king, prisoner, Instead of actually killing him like he was supposed to, he also kept all of the choice animals alive so that he could offer sacrifices. You know, the king's job. It's not the king's job. But he did kill everyone else and also killed all of the animals that were worthless. And just as Saul is brushing off his hands for his awesome conquering 200,000 man army that did this thing real well, Samuel rolls up and Samuel's like, hey, Saul, did you obey everything I told you to do and devote everyone to destruction? Saul's like, yep, did a great job. And Samuel's like, then why do I hear sheep? And Saul's like, oh, the people wanted to offer sacrifices out of the animals of the Amalekites and I captured Agag and it's so great. And Samuel's like, just stop, just shut up. Because you haven't obeyed God, you're in big trouble. Why didn't you listen? And Saul's like, I did obey. I did everything that God told me to do. I just captured the king and didn't kill all the animals. I wanted to offer sacrifices, and the people wanted to offer sacrifices. And Samuel's like, Do you think God likes sacrifices better than obedience? Obeying is better than sacrifices. To listen is more important. Rebellion is just as bad as witchcraft. You presumed to know God's mind better than the word of God himself, and because you rejected the word of God... God has rejected you as king. And Saul is like, I'm sorry, I sinned. I made a big mistake. Please pardon me. And Samuel's like, I won't go with you to pardon you. You are in big trouble. And God has rejected you as king. Saul reaches out to grab Samuel, catches the end of his cloak, and it tears. And Samuel looks at him straight in the eye and is like, you see how my cloak tore when you grabbed at it? That is exactly how God will tear the kingship from you. He has already chosen another man to be king. A man after his heart who will listen and obey. God has picked a neighbor of yours to be king, one who is better than you. And Saul tries to repent and goes to worship before God, but it is too late for Saul's kingship, whether or not it is too late for Saul's soul. Samuel also brings Agag before himself. Agag thinks that Samuel's going to pardon him, but no, Samuel chops him to pieces because that was the orders. And from that day on, Samuel never sees Saul again. Saul lives in Gibeah, Samuel in Ramah, and he doesn't visit Saul until the day of his death. Samuel had grown to love Saul and was grieved that Saul was no longer the anointed king of Israel, and God was sorry that he had made Saul king. In this one episode, the tall, stunning, and handsome son of Kish was made king, a good king, and then fell into disrepair as a person. He went from being too nervous to take the crown to too proud to admit when he was wrong. Next episode, we're going to meet the next king of Israel, who will be anointed also by Samuel. He's the last king anointed by Samuel, but not the last king anointed by God. Stay tuned. The kingship has been torn from Saul, Carl, Dark, and handsome, and is about to be given to someone else. Young, scrappy, handsome. That's right. Next episode, we get to meet the great hero, David.